Welcome to Word is Truth. This is Doug Presley. It is 11-6-2022, and we're continuing our worship service where we left off uh, with the thought of the week and prayer. Uh, I have the thought of the week at this time. Uh, it's titled, Safe, Saved Versus Safe. Some are promoting a gospel that really does not permanently save at all. I need to make sure you are clear, since salvation is a matter of life and death. If a person tells me it is possible for them to lose their salvation and still claim they are saved, maybe they should modify that to say that they are safe. For them, the word safe seems more appropriate than saved. If you claim to be saved and at life's end, you are somehow lost, then it really does not matter what you claim for yourself in life. The bottom line is you are still lost. This reminds me of a baseball analogy where a runner is trying to steal a base. The runner takes off and sprints from first base and slides hard in the second base. As the dust settles, all eyes and ears are focused on the umpire to render his verdict. Dramatically, he shouts, save! The runner stands up and dust himself off. He is safe for now, but has not crossed home plate. Some view their salvation just this way. They feel it is possible to get caught stealing a base and be thrown out. Therefore, there's always some work they must maintain from God to ultimately keep them saved. However, the testimony of the word of God is the moment you believe in Christ, you are saved. You have eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from life, from death to life. That's found in John chapter 5, verse 24. Also consider eternal life and will not be judged. Oh, oh excuse me, I'm reading that. that uh, uh, also consider that it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And it is not of yourself. It is a gift from God that's found in Ephesians chapter 2.8. So you are not on base at all. With Christ, you are already home. The Savior already went around the bases, crossed home, base, home plate for you long ago. You are either saved or lost, not safe. If you are saved, then you are saved from being lost forever. That is the point. If you are lost, you were never saved to begin with. So, you are saved. Are you saved or are you safe? Cool.
there's much that can be said about this. Uh, I'd just like to add a slight commentary. Uh, God himself said, this is my son whom I, whom I am well pleased. Christ, the work of Christ on the cross, God was propitiated. He was completely satisfied. In addition, as Christ was bearing the sins of the world, he said, it is finished. That means it was finished in the past, which the result means it's finished forever. The work of salvation. Christ drunk the cup to the dregs. It's either 100% that he paid for our sins or he didn't pay the penalty for any of our sins. Uh, Romans 3.10 says, there is no one righteous, not even one. So the message here is that you can't pay for your sins. We were born in sin and shaped in iniquity. This was this, this, a sin nature attached to every human being that you were not responsible for. But Christ paid the penalty for those sins. He is the Lamb of God who took away the sins of the entire world. At this time, I'd like to turn this over to the right for prayer. Amen. Thank you very much, Craig. Amen. All right, I'd like to pray on our behalf and uh, also include any special requests anybody might have. We will order any. Okay, let me go ahead and pray for us and include all of the, uh, the things that are on our hearts. Dear Father in heaven, thank you for this wonderful, gracious opportunity for us to be able to take advantage of technology and to bring the word together amongst us um, where we are physically hundreds of miles apart. And it's just fantastic that we are in this day and age and we're so grateful that you have chosen us in Christ as we accepted his work for us. And we are saved, not just saved. Um, I want to pray on behalf of, of Word of Truth Church, uh, our church, all those affiliated with the church on the call or not. But uh, may the people who hear these words be blessed um, and come to a, a deeper understanding of what God has in mind. He has revealed these things. They are not mysterious. Um, to be kept uh, in, a, in awesome amazement at uh, you know what could possibly be happening, what has he done. He has told us these things. In fact, he has given us the spirit of truth to be in our hearts, to reside in us, to dwell inside of us, the same spirit of truth who searches the deep things of God and reveals these things to us. As Christ says, his job is to guide us into all truth. And that's exactly what um, God wants for his believers. So we see that there is salvation required to be a believer, um, but we know that afterwards there is the work of understanding this truth that has been given to us. And we thank you so much for giving us this truth in our church. Uh, pray for believers all around the world. 
the um, the Church of God, the Church of God, the Church of Jesus Christ, um, the body of Christ that is in the world. I pray on on their behalf so that they too may continue to grow in the truth, despite all that is going on in the world. And even among us, there are um, those who are sick or those who are in need of any kind. And we pray that you would remember them and enable us to help whenever possible. Um, but we know that, that you have a plan and that we can trust in that plan no matter what we see going on in this world. You will conquer. And that conquer um, and conquering is in us as well. And I pray for um, each word that comes out of um, our pastor's mouth to be enriching to us, to open the eyes of our hearts, so that we can see the inheritance that has been guaranteed to us. And we are, again, are so grateful for all the things that you have done, um, and help us to focus on, on your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. <clears throat> Thank you, Dwight and Fred. Appreciate Appreciate that, uh, and we are here at um, John 17 review, and um, we started um, November 7th, 2021, and we ended this study on 10-23-22, so uh, it just happens that we canceled a couple of weeks uh, 23 and we canceled the Sunday the 30th <clears throat> so that today is 11 6 and it's exactly one year from the time that we began uh, the study of uh, these four chapters so uh, you have notes and uh, we're going to dig right in uh, as we have come to the end of this discourse we have taken time to investigate the words of our Lord. What I find most interesting in this discourse is this discourse covers a period where we have a dispensational change. Jesus is busy preparing the disciples for this new age. He did not tell everything that was, uh, that was uh, to tell. He said, quote, I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. That's John 16 and 21, uh, 12, 16 and 12. Well, Pentecost came and we did have a major change, just as Jesus promised. There were many classic verses and we got a chance to see them up close and personal. More importantly, my prayer is that we were true to the text in context and correctly handled the word of truth. Let us look at some of the highlights we discussed in chapter 17. So this is where we are in our review. And, and let me just add that not only do we have, or now that you have the documentation, it really doesn't cover everything, as you, you who are here with me know that just because we have those notes does not mean the points that were expounded upon were all covered in the notes. They were not. The notes are more of an outline. 
and we'd be done pretty pretty soon if all we had to do is read the notes. <laughs> but it is the commentary on those notes that draws out the more detail that we covered. And even then, with all of that commentary, so you, the only way you would get the full picture is if you listen to the tapes or the recordings of the tapes. You, you know I'm old. You listen to the recordings along with the notes. That's the only way you would really get the points that I made along with that. But even now, right, as we think about it, and time has only elapsed one year, if we were to go through this again, there would be more points that the Holy Spirit would bring to us. So this is, even though it's a point in time, it is a flow of information and understanding. And you should know that uh, it is according to your spiritual growth as to what you can see and what you may not be able to see. So it, it really depends on you. Now, obviously, you showed up and we all participated in the creation of all of what we have done in these four chapters. But I will tell you, as you grow, you continue to see more. Even, you know, I was tempted to look at some of the things that were in early, like a year ago or nine months ago. Some of those thoughts that I had, even then, by the time we got to the end of certain places, or to certain places, I could tell you that I would have said some different things. I would have added different thoughts. So, but you know what? What's good is we have the record of what we did. And even if there is more, there, let's just say there's always more. But from the point, from what we did go through and at the time we went through it, we have the record. So, again, same thing here with the, with, with the, uh, the extensive um, review that we have before us, which I don't know if we're going to get through it all today. It'd be fine if it spills over into next week. So, just to know, there's... It go, the same goes for whatever is in the review. And some of the review, I just copied some of the points that I made that I, I thought were highlights. So, just to note. Let's dig in. John 17, 1 through 3. I think the way we'll do this is uh, we'll read the verse that is before us, and then we'll uh, talk about it. So, John 17... After Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that, you, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So John 17, 1 through 3 some of the highlights there were the hour has come. The time has come. Judas is already, this is the point number one in our notes here, it's where we are. Judas is already off and would soon be leading a detachment of temple guards and many others to arrest Jesus. And that's, uh, <clears throat> that's what we find. Judas leaving in 13, John 13, 27, and we see 
Jesus headed to the Garden of Gethsemane uh, awaiting Judas's arrival in 18.3. So the hour has come. If you've read the Gospels, you have seen a common phrase, my hour has not yet come. And uh, at this point in the narrative, his hour is here. And what, would he, what do we mean by the hour? The time has come. So point number two, glorify your son. So Jesus was glorified by finishing the work. And, and that's in verse four, which we, I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. However, here's another one of those things that we uh, should at least preference this with. And that is the fact that the whole of this discourse has been about God uh, through the person of Christ establishing the church in the world. And obviously from 14, really 13 on, he's been covering that point. So I would not think that he has shifted gears in John chapter 17 and just starts talking generally. No, what is on Jesus's mind is still the same thing that he had just finished teaching the disciples about. So when he says glorify your son, Jesus, he's talking about the work, the finished work, not the cross, but what he has finished already in terms of establishing the father, father's plan, and revealing the Father to the disciples. We'll get more into that. <clears throat> but here's a, a verse. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel, of, a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. So this goes all the way back to John 12, 23 and 24. So what happens when Jesus dies is, even though we're, we know we can relate this to salvation, but really, this is related to the church age. Because Christ's death brings about his separation from the world, and his, which would also facilitate his resurrection and ascension, where now he is able to bring these many sons into glory. It had to happen. His death was the signal for God to be able to move forward in this plan. He finished the work, right? He's, Christ is saying, glorify me now, because I finished the work. So, it re so if he dies, it, it, it remains the same. But if it dies, if it doesn't die, it just remains... Um, only as a single seed, it says. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. So that is what's happening with Christ and us, the church. We are directly related to that. In fact, you could go to First John where it talks about because, you know, if we don't sin because his seed remains in us. So it's the same type of thing uh, that we've been already studying uh, through the four chapters. Christ is continuing to talk about the church. Point B, the Father receives glory because of his eternal purpose. Right? That's 
And, and that glory that the Father receives is also glory that Christ receives. And we're not going to turn to Ephesians 3, 8 through 11 at this point, because I think we know what that means. And we'll come back to that thought as we go forward. We've got a lot of ground to cover. Point three, <clears throat> Christ acknowledged the authority given him by the Father. Uh, if you've already seen, uh, I am going to try to move quickly. Uh, I'm, I won't be able to cover every single verse that's referenced here, but it is for our, our documentation. Right? So, so Christ, this is point number three. Christ acknowledges the authority given him by the Father. A, he earned the right to be the Savior of the world by being judged for all the sins. This is part of the work Christ came to do as well. B, he triumphed over Satan and has the right to rule this world, Colossians 2.15. All of this is a result of all of Christ's work. C, as a result of his work on earth, Christ was raised to supreme authority over all. And we know that as well um, because we are raised with him in the heavenly realms. So Christ, in his glorification, is elevated to a place. And we're talking about a man who was here walking around is now elevated to this place far above all principalities and powers and titles and dominions. This person has the highest authority over all creatures. In even where it says in the heavenly realm, so that would include angels and this this person, Christ, has been elevated to this level, and that's what we that's what Christ acknowledges, the authority given him by the Father. <clears throat> Point number four. To those you have given him, right? So this is uh, where it says, for you granted him authority over all the all people, that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now, obviously, Christ's life is for the whole world. He paid for the sins of the world. From Adam to every person that was ever born or will be born on planet Earth, Christ died for them. And so um, when we look at this point, uh, where it says in point number four, to all, to, to all those you have given him, those specifically are given by the Father. How, how is it that they are given by the Father? So uh, just a walk from John 6, 44 and 45, only because this is a stickler, a point that uh, Calvinists have made, 44 and 45, it is written, this is where Jesus has uh, turned the fishes, he multiplied the fishes and the loaves. He says, it is written in the prophets. Oh, oh, I'm sorry, 43, stop grumbling among yourselves. And this is 44, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them, and I will raise them up at the last day. So, what is it? Of course, some people, like the Calvinists or Reformed theology, the thought is 
that God drags a person or draws the person to him so that that's how people are saved, right? They're not saved because the Holy Spirit draws them and, and then they get the choice to believe in Christ. They say God draws, draws them to the point where then he just saves them. He doesn't, it, he doesn't need their faith. He just regenerates them as the first action. But this, and the verse that they have seems to have the words that they want, but it doesn't have the meaning that they want. So if we keep reading, we understand how is it that Jesus is saying that people are drawn. Verse 45, it is written in the prophets, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard the Father and has learned from him comes to me. So where is this? In the prophets. Where is the prophet? The Old Testament. So he's talking here about how these people who are Jews that were in front of him should have understood who he was and come to him if they had been taught by God in the Old Testament. But how, obviously, these people have not been taught by God uh, because um, they have not seen or they have not come to Christ. So, uh, so the drawing part is where the Holy Spirit uses that information that was given to Israel through the prophets to draw people to Christ. Unfortunately, it didn't work with these people because even though they were drawn, they only were drawn because of the fishes and loaves in this case. Anyway, back to... Um, and what does Isaiah 54, 13 add to this? Let's look at it. Uh, Isaiah 54... Here it is. It says, All your children will be taught by the Lord, and great will be their peace. Right? So so again, it's a, it's a similar scripture as to what Jesus was quoting in John 6.45. <clears throat> so, but this point to make is where Jesus is the author of, of salvation, he is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's he, he's the one who uh, is said to be the seed of the woman who would come. That person finally did come in the person of Jesus Christ. That's who we know. We now know is the Savior of the world. Point number uh, this is five B. Christ also said, "And I, when I am lifted up." From the earth. And what does it mean to be lifted up from the earth? He's not talking about his ascension here. He's talking about being crucified. When he is lifted up on the cross. What will be the result? He will draw all people to myself. So for Christ to say this. <clears throat> we are just filling in all the details. So for people to be drawn to Christ in the Old Testament or the Jews, he, he would, um, they would need to have a knowledge of the Old Testament scriptures. Right? That's, that was prerequisite. But what about the Gentiles? What about the rest of them? He says, when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. So, uh, point number five. Now this is eternal life. 
that they know you. Now, when we think about this verse, I'm going back to John 17. Let's get back over there. <clears throat> this is a very key verse as well. Now, this is the eternal life. And we, we want to talk about what is eternal life. We might ask that question. What's the difference between eternal life? Or what is everlasting life? Or what is human life? Human life goes on forever, right? the life that we have. Well, once we die, it is not like a cessation of life. It is that we transfer from one place to another. We are not, it's not over for us. We continue to have consciousness somewhere else. So life, so death does not mean cessation of life. It means separation. We are separated from one, like from our body, our soul and spirit are separated from our body, but we are now, uh, it's said that we are in heaven. But now notice what it says, this is eternal life. Because we always like to qualify, I've even said it before as well, eternal life is God's life. But this verse defines what it means to have eternal life. That they may, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. That is what eternal life is. It is the knowledge. It is really the knowledge of reconciliation. That they know you. So, because what happens when we're born in Adam? We are estranged from God, right? We're separated. That's what spiritual death is all about. We're separated from God in time. We don't know God. We don't want to know God. We're, we're estranged. We're, we're, our thoughts, none are righteous. None even seek after God, right? This is all the state we're in in Adam. So now, what is eternal life? Eternal life is that they now know you. Only true God and Jesus Christ whom you sent. That's the plan. The plan of salvation is in a nutshell right there. That they are reconciled to the Father and through the person of Jesus Christ. Now, more can be said of this verse because to know the Father is where Jesus has been talking about revealing the Father for all these verses that have gone on. He's talking about the fact that he revealed the Father. So to know the Father and Jesus Christ. For us in this age, that's at this point it didn't happen yet, but it's Jesus is getting ready to tell them it's going to happen, where they will know the Father. We'll get more to that as we go down some of these verses. So let's look at what point are we at? This is eternal life. This is point number five in our notes. We should know that the entire discourse is about the church in this new age, in the new age. So that's a point to make, right? We can't just ignore that. When we're talking about knowing the Father, well, people could say, oh, well, what what benefit is there in knowing the Father? It's just that he sent the Son. No, there's a lot more benefit in knowing the Father because it speaks of the Father's plan. So it's not just knowing the Father. Oh, yeah, he's the, he's the one we're reconciled to. Yes, that's true. But it is something unique about knowing the Father that has to do with the plan that he created and he that he invested in the person of Christ. And now we are sons and daughters that are brought into glory.
So, <clears throat> so far, the entire discourse has been about that. And I don't want to just generalize it and say it only is about the fact that Christ did a work, but stand by, hold on. But there's more than that. Uh, don't worry about it. <laughs> I'm not going to answer it. So, point B, know you. Jesus' intimacy with the Father is not only related to salvation and reconciliation, but a closeness to the Father that is only revealed in the church age. And that's where I was coming from. No one knows the Father except the Son, who is himself God, who has revealed him. So that's why I say that they may know you, the only true God. That, that knowledge of the Father was hidden before time, in, in God before time began. Point number C, that closeness is also described in terms of the Father's plan to bring many sons into glory. Hebrews 2.9, which talks about, um, you know, <laughs> let's see. There, sent it. Sent it to the sent it to the voicemail. So all of all of that, let's read a couple verses in this regard. Well, let's talk about bringing many sons into glory, but let's read it. Hebrews two nine. But we do see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for for a little while, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God. Hello? Can you hear me? Yes, we lost him for a minute. I don't know what happened. Hello? Am I okay? Yeah, just for a minute. I don't know. He was having some difficulty uh, when he said, don't worry. Somebody was there and he said, don't worry about it. But it must have been a little bit more. Oh, okay. All right. So can you hear me now? Hello? Oh, can you hear me now? I'm sorry. Yeah, we can hear you. Oh, sorry about that. Technical difficulty strikes. In any case, um, so we're continuing where we left off in point number five of our notes from John 17, 1 through 3. So we're, we're saying how it is important to note that this verse where he says that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent, that that verse has greater meaning in our context by helping us understand the revelation of the Father. Revelation of the Father is not just, hey, here's a, the Father. The Father's plan is what the revelation of the Father is all about. Moving forward. Point number six, the only true God and Jesus Christ. So knowing the Father and his Son is the eternal purpose of the only true God. There is no other purpose of God. Other, anything else is idolatry. That's point B. So when you think about that, this is to say what it is, but when you look at the world and how the world sees this, we could also say what it is not. So there is no other way to understand God other than through what his plan is and the, the, the Lord Jesus Christ, who he has invested everything in. 
everything else, anything else, is idolatry. Right? It is not God. So when you talk about eternal life, we can talk about it in the general sense for every person in the world, but we can talk about it in the more defined sense in that the, Father, the revelation of the Father has come and Jesus Christ has revealed it to those for whom it is appropriate. Okay, so John 17, 4 and 5. 17, 4 and 5. Let's read um, what it says here. Stand by. John 17. So it says, I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. So there's a lot in just these two verses, but we're not, we can't cover it all today. We did already. So the first point is finishing the work you gave me to do. So there are two times Jesus noted that work was finished. It's here, John 17, 4. And then there in John 19, 30. So there are two times where Christ says, literally, it is finished. Well, he didn't say it is finished, but he used the same word in John 17, 4 that he used in John 19, 30. So two finishes would say there's two uh, different work, uh, points of work that were accomplished. So point B, finished work stands as a monument for all mankind and settles the matter of God's eternal purpose being realized. So those two things need to, needed to be finished. These are the two things that Christ came to do. He had to complete the salvation plan, the seed of the woman, the lamb of God takes away the sin of the world, so forth. And he had to complete the fact that he had to show up at the cross spotless, the spotless lamb of God. He was righteous before God. Those two things are the salvation work of God. But then preparing the disciples for the new dispensation, that they would be the foundation of the church, in the foundation of the church, is the other purpose of God that he had to fulfill. So two finished works that Christ had to undertake. So I say in point B, the finished work stands as a monument for all mankind and settles the matter of God's eternal purpose being realized. Yep. That's, those two things were, were the work of Christ. Point number two, before Christ was glorified, he had the consciousness of events that happened before the world began. Just think about this. This goes into deep waters when we talk about uh, st stretching our understanding to understand what was going on. Now, this is the prayer. Christ is not teaching the disciples this. <laughs> but, the, but what he is doing is talking in prayer to the Father. So this is their conversation. This is a conversation that Christ is having with the Father in prayer. In that conversation, he happens to mention something that happened where he had the consciousness of before the world began. 
And that to me is amazing. And we're talking about the person of Christ and what did he know? He understood the Father's eternal purpose intimately so that, so that he was able to recall a conversation that he and the Father had where he was promised glory if he finished the work. So he basically said, well, I did. I finished the work. Now, bring glory to me like we discussed before the world began. Interesting. We're talking about the person of Christ and his consciousness. So let's look at some points on that. Point A, since the glory depended on Christ's finished work, the glory they shared before the world began was projected glory. So Christ didn't get the glory at that point in time before time began, before the earth was created, before the world was created. He didn't get the glory then. It was projected for him to get. But it was sure that he was going to get it. So Christ is now acknowledging that point. Point B. That's why we call it projected glory. Point B. This confirms that there was a definite plan before creation. I mean, if we wonder, is it just random? What was God thinking? I, know, I don't really hear a lot of people talking about this. A lot of churches don't get into this. Well, what was God thinking before he created all things? They just talk about, well, the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows forth his handiwork and, and oh, it is just his creation is just wonderful. And, uh, you know, everything in it is just beautiful. We talk about creation, but we get an opportunity. We, in the church age, get an opportunity to be witness to what happened before time began. Time began with creation, the creation of all things. God, that's when the, the time clock began to tick. So... We are able to understand the wisdom that was destined for our glory. This is 1 Corinthians 2, 7. Before time began. How do we do that? How can we have the capacity, the, the understanding to be able to think in these terms? It is God, the Holy Spirit, or Jesus' term, the Spirit of Truth, the Comforter. Right. When he comes, he will give us all this information. He will tell us all these things. So this is that was point <clears throat> B. It confirms a definite plan before creation. Now, like we talked about before, this is not random. We are not an extension of Israel. We are not just here only to give the gospel to people. Right? This is a responsibility that we have to come to the knowledge of the truth, to, to come to understand this information. If we fail at this, I think we will not be rewarded because it is the responsibility that is placed upon us to come to know who we are. I mean, there's more, obviously, we could, we are ambassadors, but but all of this is dovetailed together. It's not just, well, we just have to go out and give the gospel. Because giving that we are ambassadors, not just ambassadors, but ambassadors for the new creation. 
Just, just think, everybody we give the gospel to, everybody we that believes the gospel under our us, the church, are ushered into the new creation. They're a part of this. So it's not just the fact that we give the gospel, but, but that whole understanding, what we're doing. We're not just giving the gospel and telling people they're going to be ushered into Israel. They're going to be Jews. We have the understanding, and that, that is the point. There's a plan. The plan is defined. It is not random. It's not like evolution. Like, well, well, there's random. Everything is random. No, there's a plan in this. And it happened before God created all things. This plan, Jesus is talking about to the Father. Isn't it appropriate that he's praying? This is the last opportunity, last discourse before he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane and Judas comes to meet him. This is it. And what's he talking to the Father about? Man, if we could be a fly on the wall between Jesus' prayer to the Father, well, we are that fly on the wall. We're privy to this information that he's talking. Now we get to dissect it and look at it and turn it over upside down and around. I hope you would do that because, wow, this information to me is spectacular. It's talking about like, just like, it's just like Paul said in 1 Corinthians 2, 9. What eye has not seen, what ear has not heard, what has not entered into the heart or thinking of man. Because how could man possibly fix his thoughts to project what, happened before the universe was created how could he it is impossible well but god the holy spirit has revealed these things to us we have them you know what the eternal purpose of god is christ is talking about it to the father as though like we weren't there but we are there so he uses this conversation to continue to prepare us for what is ahead and that would have been Pentecost and beyond. Point C. Since they shared this glory before time began, when I say they shared it, that means they saw the completion and result of it. And I always use the car prototype analogy. So if a person designed a car, and this car design, this prototype was so beautiful, so beautiful that the, the expected result would be that people would just love it. And sure enough, um, <clears throat> that's what this was. Christ was the one who was slated to bring many sons into glory. And the, since they already know every thought, every motive, every decision of time, they already know that it would result in glory. Now the glory is not like the prototype, how people would receive it necessarily. The glory is what satisfies the Father. What the, the Father has a plan for what? Well, what's his plan to accomplish? Well, so he's the one who is the is the one who should be satisfied that the plan is accomplished or achieves the glory that it was set out to achieve. So, so the father's understanding of this and the son's understanding of this 
results in glory. And they're having a conversation about, well, okay, we talked about this before time began. And now it's time for the glory to begin. We, we had a little phrase that we created. I tried to have a little fun with it. It's glory time, right? And this is part of it. So uh, when is glory time? Well, let's look at point D. Evidently, all the members of the Trinity were pleased with this plan, the executed plan. When they saw it, they were pleased with it. So what is it? Is this achievement glory? Jesus said he would build his church. Right? On this rock, I will build my church. So when is glory time? Pentecost. That's when the Father's eternal purpose, the, the very things he was talking about, before time began, started right there at Pentecost. So what is Pentecost? It's time for glory. It's glory time. Now, I'm not a Pentecostal, but I would say that's a place where we could rejoice in knowing that the Father got to this place where he is able to bring those many sons into glory. Let's keep going. I know we got a lot to cover. I don't know that we're going to be able to get into the detail that we have uh, been getting into up to this point. But let's keep going. Let's see what happens. So John 17, 6 through 9. Let's read it first. <clears throat> Stand by. I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me and they have obeyed your word. <clears throat> now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. <clears throat> Let's look at this. So the, this is the 11 disciples were chosen. <coughs> Excuse me. 11 disciples were the chosen ones to serve as the foundation of the church, even though they were challenged theologically. Now this verse is key. Luke 6, 12 through 16. It is something you should uh, mark with a permanent marker in your memory because it shows where Jesus actually does call out these, <clears throat> these believers. And he calls them out by name. Luke 6, 12 through 16. I think I'll read it. I'm not going to go through the whole thing, but just the point. Okay. Uh, 12. On, uh, let's see. One of those days, Jesus went out to the mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. When morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them. Notice, called his disciples to, them, to him and chose 12 of them. So there were more of them than were the 12, whom he also designated as apostles. And Luke is writing this after the resurrection, so he knows. <clears throat> and then it goes into how many people um, were chosen, or which ones that he were, he, 
he referred to Simon, whom he named Peter, his brother Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was also who was called the Zealot, Judas, son of James, Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. So notice by name. And these are people who are there. He did not just say over a, cr a whole crowd of people, I'm calling out Peter. <coughs> and there could have been 10 Peters in the crowd. Or I'm calling out John. There could have been 10 Johns in the crowd. These are people who were standing there looking at him. He separated them from the other disciples. And these, Luke tells us, are later to become or desig be designated as apostles. <clears throat> so that's important for us to note. That is key. It talks about how Jesus prayed to the Father prior to his having to do this. Obviously, he comes right out of prayer, and the next morning, that's what he does. He's, he separates the disciples. He chooses 12 of them. He says, these are the ones who are going to be the apostles for the church. Christ has been in the process of building his church. Uh, <clears throat> he said that in Matthew 16, and we're seeing it come, come to light. So point number two, God also knows each one of us by name. And <clears throat> where do we get this from? Ephesians 1, 4 through 6. 4 says he chose you. Now look, he got to know you by name. If he, he didn't just, he did all of this for you. Let's read it, Ephesians 1, 4 through 6. It's important for us to note. He says, for, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world. There it is. Paul is acknowledging this. But this happened, this, this choosing, this calling happened before the creation of all things. So this is in the planning phase. He could have chosen Moses, and you would have been in Moses' shoes. He could have chosen Daniel to be able. It was his choice. And the only, only reason why we could say is he loved. Choosing us means he preferred us. He, of his own sovereign choice, chose us. Before the creation of the world, beholding blameless in his sight, in love he predestined us to be adopted to adoption adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace which he has freely given us in the one he loves. So we have not just been chosen but we've been predestined for adoption to sonship through all of this is very specific language. It's not just I'm just going to choose anybody who chooses to believe in Christ. No, it's very specific about what God has done. And even in John 17, 20, he says, I'm praying also for those who would believe in me from their message, that all of us may be one. And, and so that oneness, that relationship that we have with the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit is unique. And God the Father... God the Son, no, they know you by name. If you, if you ever want to know, is God, is God aware of you? He is absolutely aware of you. He chose you. 
to be in Christ. That's why you're here. Not here because through a series and successions of birth, pregnancy, birth, pregnancy, birth, and finally you were born. No. Every birth, every person who was born into this world, God has to give them life. He chose to give you life in this particular age that is we are also calling glory time. So that is unique. That is something that we can take uh, as God did something very special for us. Set us apart. Just like those disciples. He says, oh, you, se- se- I'm separating you out from the rest of those other ones over there. You guys are going to be the foundation of the church. Point number three. Now they know. When Jesus is talking about the disciples to the Father, he says, now they know. Now, so, so the question would be, do you know? Right? The disciples figured it out. Don't talk about how the disciples failed and, oh, but they were so dull. And Even Jesus said they were dull. And, and, and no, they didn't understand. But remember, we said that they had some theological challenges. I mean, what, what, do we have theological challenges as well? We, we talked about them in the Q&A. All of us did. And we didn't understand certain verses where God was telling us this is what we need to understand. We didn't understand it. But listen, the disciples were changing dispensations. So all their lives and all their mothers and their relatives and their forefathers' lives were all thinking along these same lines that they were thinking. So it was worse for them. They were in the midst of of changing from Israel to the church. So we got to give them some room here, (laughs) some some leeway for, for, for judgment because they figured it out. Have we figured it out? Some people in the church have not figured it out. Now they, they don't understand what the Father and Christ was doing before time began. But the disciples figured it out. They understood the Father's plan. They got it. That's what we can say. Gee, and how do we know? Did, were they able to articulate it in the way Jesus was praying? No, they didn't have all the words. But they got it. They know Jesus said they knew, and if Jesus said it, I would understand as well that they knew. Do you understand your call? And wow, here we are 2,000 years into the church age, and we, we are, people are still struggling. The church is still tr- struggling with the fact that they're not Israel. That there's a distinction between Israel and the church. And we shouldn't be talking about Israel to that extent, like, well, we should be mimicking them or anything. We should be talking about growing us up in Christ. Point four. God gave them the words you, uh, gave them the words you gave me. So that, not God, but gave them the words you gave me. So the Father had specific instructions for Christ. Christ followed those instructions. Part of what you are hearing, most of what you are hearing in the discourse, are the instructions from the Father. 
He gave them the words you gave me. And what they understood. So this part of Christ's work was scripted. Christ didn't, he couldn't say, well, I'm, I, I heard what you said, Father, but you know what? I'm going to put it in my own words. Nope, nope. Christ had to tell them the words that the Father told him to tell them. And that's what he told them. He did the work. He finished the work. Just like the Father, this is the point. He did finish the work. It was scripted. Point five. They knew with certainty. Wow. They didn't just know. They knew with certainty. They knew according to Jesus and the Father. So both, so look, you could say, well, maybe they didn't know. Maybe they, well, Jesus knew that they knew and the Father knew that they knew. They knew. And we could stop chiding the disciples. And sure, did they have more failures ahead of them? Yes, they did. They weren't perfect. They had to learn just like we are. The process of learning for us is failure, succeed, failure, succeed. Hopefully, succeed, succeed, failure, succeed, 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 failure. Hopefully, it goes like that. But believe me, failure is in there. Because when we fail, we learn more sometimes than we would by succeeding. We learn what we don't know. So this, so Christ, in point number six, I pray for them. Not praying for the world. Notice, it's specific prayer. It's not just, well, I'm praying for believers of all ages. Christ did not say, I'm praying for Israel. He's praying for the church. That's what's on his mind. The church. That's what we should be thinking about when we go to prayer. Not that we can't pray for the world or, or unbelievers, that they would hear the gospel and, and have an opportunity to believe. We do pray for all those things. What was on Christ's mind? Building his church. And it's okay to be specific at times. Where he says, I'm not praying for the rest of them. I'm not praying for salvation. I'm not praying for Israel. I'm not praying. I'm praying specifically for the church. And I say we should pray for the church as well. That shouldn't be something we forget about because we got brothers and sisters in Christ, members of our body who are in other countries, who even in this country that are out there they believed in Christ in this age they're saved and they're ushered into the body of Christ we got to pray for them we're praying for unity we're praying for oneness that we will come to the knowledge of the truth for those believers I like what it says that that, that we were like it says hey, let me just read it in Ephesians 4 I could quote it but better if I read it Ephesians 4 12 to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith. Who's all? That's all the entire church. That we reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. That's a prayer for the entire church. I know people would like to use that individually. And say, yeah, well, you got to get to maturity. 
so that you can grow up in Christ. And that is true. You do need to get there. You need to grow up in your salvation individually, but not in this verse. This verse is a is Paul talking about the entire church, that we all come to this. So not only do we look at our own spiritual growth, but we ought to look out over the church as well. We ought to be those who use our gifts for the strengthening of the body of Christ, not just our own selves. Because we are members together of one another. And that's, that's found in Romans 12. I know I'd like to read it just so we can be sure when I talk about praying for the church. It is, so it says, um, this is Romans 12, verse 4. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body. And each member, this is 12.5, belongs to all the others. We, we're not just here for ourselves. We're collectively the body of Christ. We're not individual, individually the body of Christ. We're collectively. So we have different gifts according to the grace given us, right? So the gifts that we have are, are varied because we need different things in the body. It's not just about one gift over another. Let's continue on. Um, so, um, let's see where we are here. We should pray, as I said, for the church as well. Point number seven. Um, no, we're going to have to quit. So, uh, I think our time has, has definitely gone beyond, but that's okay. So, we'll, we'll pick right up here next week. With the process of our calling, we'll continue on. Hopefully, we, we, we gained some good ground today already. So, we'll get more into this next week as we continue our review. Let's bow our heads and we'll close. Thank you, Father, for this time you've given us. Much appreciated as we, anytime we have this opportunity to review uh, your words uh, the words of your son in in this discourse. We are blessed. But we, we, more than that, we are understanding what you have made of us. That we are responsible to you uh, for this understanding. We, we thank you for choosing us, for putting us in this position. Obviously, you saw us and you chose us through your sovereignty, and that's why we're here today. So we pray for each and every person that is on the call. We pray for the church, uh, wherever they are, who are our brothers and sisters in the same body as us. We pray for their understanding, their sanctification, that they will come to the full knowledge of the truth that we, as we... Um, are doing here, coming to the knowledge of the truth in this church, this local church. So, Father, we pray also uh, for those among us, as we said, who are grieving, those who are in pain. Father, we pray that we will continue uh, to bring comfort to those who are mourning in this life. All of this we ask in Christ's name, for his sake. Amen.
Amen. Amen.